Good morning. It's another odd Sunday. Um, I can count on both hands number of people that are here in the sanctuary this morning. Um, unfortunately, we've had a bit of COVID make its way through our little old village of Cherokee, and so we're having to adjust on the move. Our schools had to adjust, sports have had to adjust, and, and we're finding ourselves having to adjust as well. So we're so thankful and grateful that you're here with us today. Um, if you are visiting with us online and you've never done so before, you should find on the screen uh, a QR code. If you'll just take out your phone and uh, open up your camera app, you'll be able to uh, not really take a picture of it, but there'll be a pop-up and it'll take you to a website. And there you'll see our, our bulletin. You can scroll down to the bottom and you'll find there a connection card. Uh, also, if you're interested, um, you'll find uh, announcements, you'll find our prayer lists, even sermon notes, if you're so inclined to follow those. Uh, there'll be an order of worship there as well, and so we want to uh, make that available to you. But we'd love to know that you're worshiping with us, and so if you don't mind uh, filling out a connection card, that would be great. Uh, just a few announcements before we get into our worship service together. Uh, first of all, tonight there will be no activities here at church. Um, all activities are canceled, um, and we have on our, our Wednesday bulletin uh, no activities. Uh, we're just going to kind of wait and see whether or not there's going to be, um, if we're going to continue with our prayer meeting, but we will certainly get word out. But all our children and youth activities have been uh, postponed uh, because of the change in the sports schedule with the school. They've had to reschedule games on Wednesdays. Uh, which takes a lot of folks out uh, to go attend those games, including uh, me and a lot of our leaders. So uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to push back the beginning of our Wednesday night, Wednesday night activities until February. And we thank you for your patience, and we're sorry that this is the way it's had to go, but uh, we are still very excited about what, what we'll be doing on Wednesday nights with our children and our youth. Um, a final announcement I want to make is just to... Uh, it, if you have a physical copy of the bulletin here in the service, um, you see that our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, we continue to smash that goal. I'm so grateful and encouraged by the giving that our church continually does towards mission offerings. Um, our church goal was $6,500, and we were able, uh, through the generosity that God raised up in his people, uh, to give to this point. $11,043, and so that's that's incredible, so yeah. grateful for that, and we're continuing to hear, I, at least I am, of churches who, uh, knowing the kind of season that we as, as a, a country have gone through, um, and churches have gone through, that, that they are still giving so faithfully to missions, so thank you, and I also want to let you know that you can continue to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering through uh, uh, January. Uh, and so I think that's it in terms of announcements. Um, for our call to worship this morning, I wanted to read a section of the first chapter of Hebrews. Uh, and so I'm going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> and this is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For which, to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Well, this is God's word in it. In the English Standard Version, and I know these titles are not inspired in any way, shape, or form, but it says in the title for verses 1 through 14, the supremacy of God's Son. But that's why we're here, is to worship God's Son, who is supreme above all things. If you would bow with me for a word of prayer, and then we'll sing together. Gracious Lord, we are so incredibly thankful that we have these words in Hebrews to help us to understand the supremacy of the Son. There's still things here that are wider and deeper and greater than we with finite minds can understand. We look forward to, Lord, in the days to come, in, in the time after you come back and things are all set right. And we're with you, that we continue to know for eternity why the Son is supreme. But Lord, now we comfort ourselves with these words and we are grateful that they sustain us. That even though things are so different right now in some ways, Jesus has never been uh, scooted off of the throne by anyone else. He is supreme over and above all things. We rest in him. We worship Him. We adore Him. Lord, we love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are going to sing. Denise is here, and, and I'm not going to sing very loud, but uh, <laughs> we are going to sing, and the words will be on the screen, whether you're at home or you're here with us in the sanctuary. And so let us, let's worship together. We'll start with, To God Be the Glory.
transition to singing grace greater than our sin. This is Psalm 21, verses 1 through 13. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have not given him his heart's desire and have not withheld. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asks life of you. You gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. 
Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful uh, that you are concerned with uh, what goes on in in this earth, on this earth, uh, through your appointed leaders. So God, we pray that those who turn to you and seek your wisdom, like the king mentioned here, that that person, those people would be um, honored by you, that you would honor their requests, give them to them, give them the wisdom that they need. And Father, when they face enemies, enemies against the goodness and righteousness of our nation and also against your goodness and righteousness, Lord, would you do what you promise here? And would you raise up your righteousness and your wrath against those who seek to harm your raised up leaders and would do harm to your your reputation. Lord, glorify yourself. Glorify yourself in our country for the sake of your people and for the sake of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now we'll sing, My Jesus, I Love Thee.
living for Jesus. Not sure we've sang that one in a while, so I'm glad we get to sing it this morning.
bow for a word of prayer. Lord, these words that have been so eloquently written down for us and put to beautiful music, um, we realize that um, living for Jesus is is easier talked about than actually done. Uh, Not to uh, condemn anyone, just to... Just to say we we know that there is the old man within us that causes us to um, do the things we hate, the things that we don't want to do, the things that um, bring your reputation, um, cause others to look at it, at you, and, and think if that's what Christians are like. I don't want to be like them. I don't want their God. We're grateful, Lord, that as we strive to live for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please Him in all that we do, that when we stumble and fall, that we have an advocate, that we have someone to whom we can turn, a great high priest who is tempted in every way, such as we are, yet was without sin one who lives to intercede at the right hand of the Father on high, and that he is our mediator. So when we turn and we say, Lord, it it happened again. I I fell, I stumbled, I hurt someone, I hurt your reputation, I hurt myself, I hurt my family. Um, Lord, you forgive us and you are merciful and just and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to pick us up, to dust us off, to look us square in the eye and say, I love you, my child, now go live. Um, Who are we that you should do that for us? We praise you, God, that you do. Um, In spite of us and for your glory and for our good, you are worthy of all praise and glory. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to take a brief break. A one Sunday, actually, there will be a two Sunday break from the sermon series uh, that we have been going over the last two Sundays, and it was My Jesus, I Love Thee. It was, it's, it's designed to be a deeper look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we're going to take a two-week break. Um, this morning, you can see what's on the screen. that will be the title of this morning's sermon. I'll explain why in just a moment and, and put parents at ease. <laughs> Um, but then also next week, I will, I will not be here. The um, Lord has uh, opened the door for me to go to a conference in Houston, in the Houston area next week. And uh, it's, um, I'll get preached at. And so uh, it's, I'm very much looking forward to it. So our dear brother, Ross Ellis, will be here uh, to do the good job he always does. I know you guys look forward to seeing him. And he always looks forward to being with you. So we are taking a break this week, and the title of this morning's sermon is Do Not Be Deceived, Biblical Sexual Morality. And the text for this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. I do want to give a disclaimer to parents that uh, if this caught you out of the blue and perhaps you weren't prepared for a sermon like this, I just want to ensure you uh, that I'm not going to go into a lot of details uh, and the reason why is because it has to really do with why in the world would I deviate from our sermon series on living for Jesus. Um, 
I, I hope that you are aware that our neighbors to the north uh, in Canada, um, especially our pastors, our churches, um, they are being pressed more and more into uh, the position where um, they have to take a stand against their government um, for biblical morality, biblical sexual morality. In fact, in the last uh, month or so, I can't tell you exactly when it was, uh, Canada's House of Parliament or whatever their uh, governing body is passed um, unanimously a law. Uh, it's, it's just the law C-4. And uh, it, it basically means that a pastor, if, if they know that someone is walking in sexual perversion, not walking according to the design of God from creation forward for sexual intimacy, biblical sexual morality, a pastor cannot counsel them from the Bible and say that it's wrong according to the law. Now today is the first Sunday that that law really has taken effect. And so there are pastors in Canada right now who are preaching either this text or texts like it. Um, how did I find out about it? Well, I've been listening to the news. But then also, I'm sure you're aware of Pastor John MacArthur, pastor, longtime pastor um, at Grace Community Church in California, a man of God who has um, taken a lot of heat through the years of standing upon the, the, the truth revealed in Scripture, um, even to the point of taking a lot of heat over it. <clears throat> He sent out an email this week, um, posted it on all sorts of social media, encouraging pastors to stand with our neighbors to the north, our churches, our pastors to the north, uh, in taking their stand and preaching from the pulpit what God's Word has to say about biblical sexual morality. And so I don't like to uh, typically pick up things like uh, something just flashes across the internet, or hey, you ought to do this on this Sunday. We could get really crowded on our Sundays if, if I was always picking something else up. I do believe in um, picking something to, to, to preach on and sticking with it, but I thought uh, this, this is certainly worth doing, and I hope you agree. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, and this is God's Word. Picking up in mid-thought mid here. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we do ask that you open our eyes to the truth of this text. It's not something you whisper about. It is not something for which we ought to be ashamed in our day. In fact, it is something that in love we ought to proclaim boldly, not to shame but to show people that you do actually care enough about sinners 
to expose their sin, that their exposed sin might be dealt with. Lord, if there happens to be anyone listening today who would fall into the category of falling outside the bounds of biblical sexual morality, I pray, God, that however hard they want to run away from what is being said here this morning, as faithful to Scripture as I can make it, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them in love to this truth. Not only to this truth, but the truth that will be revealed at the end, that you actually do draw repentant sinners to yourself. You welcome them with open arms. So Lord, let them hear the harsh side of this morning's message as well as the good news of this morning's text. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a conscientious Bible reader, you will always remember that one of the first rules of biblical interpretation is context. Context, context, context. And and as I mentioned earlier this morning, uh, the titles in your Bibles, they are not inspired. So I'm I'm using the English Standard Version. And the English Standard Version, uh, for for chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, there's a title there, and it says, Lawsuits Against Believers. Now, I bring this up because uh, in this particular section, Paul is, is... rebuking the church at Corinth for taking cases, for suing each other, and then taking those suits to unbelievers, to the unrighteous. And Paul is saying, don't you know that's the wrong move? In fact, God has given to the church through His Word the ability to settle disputes to where things should not have to go outside the church and be taken care of among unbelievers. So that's the context and and why he says, and he mentions in here, um, well, I apologize. Um, in, in, In saying, verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? He's talking about these unbelievers to whom these believers are taking their lawsuits to. So this is the context. Um, We have, as Christians, a righteousness from God, a right way to do things with regard to lawsuits among believers. And Paul even says the type of unrighteousness that you're not to take your lawsuits to is the unrighteousness that's listed here in verses 9 10, and 11. But I want to lay out for you, because this is the task at hand today, to talk about biblical sexual morality, the truth as it's revealed in Scripture, and it's this. God created sexual intimacy to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a loving, monogamous, lifelong marriage covenant. Any deviation from God's created design is sin. I want to just kind of work my way through this statement just real quick. To be enjoyed between a man and a woman, talking about biological 
men and women. Of course, we know in this day and time, people are um, transitioning from one gender to another, or so they believe. They make a mockery of how God has created man and woman. And so God created sexual intimacy to be enjoyed between a man and woman as they were created. And it's to be enjoyed in a loving relationship. That's the foundation of marriage. It's to be monogamous. A person, a spouse, should never ever go outside the marriage relationship. They should never commit adultery. But then also God created the marriage relationship, the marriage covenant to be lifelong. Now I realize that Scripture makes allowances for people to enter into a divorce. And I, 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 I know this. But this is the standard God created. And so I do want to start here and focus here. And this is the truth. This is the truth as revealed in Scripture. And I want to tell you this morning, God is serious about truth. God is utterly serious about truth. <clears throat> to know God is to know truth. You notice in verse 9, Paul says, Or do you not know? Know is an important word there. Literally in the Greek, it means, because there's different words for know. This word means to possess information, to be aware of a particular fact. So it follows that if you possess what God has revealed about himself and about the world, then you know truth because God is truth. Therefore, any claim to know God apart from God's revelation of his truth is entirely, completely, and totally false. God isn't what you make him. The fact that you believe something about God does not make that belief right. It is right only if it is in full agreement with his scriptures. To know God is to know truth. But you can also say the converse, to know truth, know God. People search for truth many places. But I'm here to tell you today, if you want to know truth, know God. God is light, John says. And in Him there is no darkness at all. All truth, anything that can be known, God knows it. All truth is found in God. And unless you seek truth in God, unless your quest for the knowledge of the truth begins in Him, your search for truth will fail. Any foundation built upon truth apart from God will fail. God is serious about truth. And what's comforting for us is that God has not hidden His truth from us. He hasn't revealed all that we might like to know about all things. But understand this, to know all things would make us omniscient. Therefore, we would be gods. And we are not gods. We're not omniscient. But God has revealed the truth necessary and sufficient for our earthly existence that we might know what our eternal destiny will be. And He's given us enough truth sufficient for our everyday life. God's serious about truth. 
He wants you to know His truth. He has revealed His truth. So it follows that if God has revealed His truth, then we ought to respect His truth. God's truth is clear. Notice again in verse 9. Or do you not know? By Paul using this particular word, know, he's saying that God's truth is knowable. It's not a mystery. As hard as it is for some people to believe, this is absolutely true. We have the capacity, even in our fallenness, to recognize transcendent truth. Truth that transcends any sort of system that we would like to place over and above it. It transcends that. We may not know everything we'd like to know in the Bible, but it is clear here from the Bible about what God has to say about biblical sexual morality. God's truth is clear. Notice also he says, verse 9, Or do you not know that? It's not that God says, my truth's out there, you just got to find it. He reveals it to us specifically in the specific way in which God, through His Holy Spirit, uses Paul to reveal His truth, that it's clear, as he says, Do you not know, again, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That is clear. It's specific. The unrighteous cannot enter the holy presence of God's eternal kingdom. They are sinners. They have offended God and they are under His wrath. They are unclean and unholy. God cannot but break out against them in holy and just wrath. Well, we might say, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, then what does Paul mean by unrighteous? Well, first of all, we must say this. Righteousness is not determined by a government and its laws. It's not determined by a majority. God and God alone determines and defines who the unrighteous are. The unrighteous are people guilty of the litany of sins, this list of sins in 9b and 10. Look again. Paul says, verse 9, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you might think, Paul didn't list everything. No, he didn't. It is an incomplete list. There are things that Paul left out. He wasn't trying to give a complete list. And I will say, Paul may not have ever envisioned, although the Holy Spirit would have known, because the Holy Spirit knows all things in advance, that we would be experiencing, and I'm not trying to be pejorative here, the alphabet soup that we have this year uh, in our day of all the different identifications, sexual identifications people put forth. But I submit to you, that had Paul wanted to, he could have made a complete list under the, under the leading of the Holy Spirit of all the different sexual perversions. He just basically, sexual immoral, sexually immoral, that encompasses a lot of things. But then he talks about, about adulterers 
and men who practice homosexuality. But there are other sins. But it is clear that sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexuality are sins. God doesn't mince words. He's not whispering here. Perhaps you heard. I'm not trying to stir up a hornet's nest. I'm trying to give you information. I'm not trying to stir up gossip. But I do want to make you aware that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention preached a sermon where he said, God whispers about sexual sin. God does not whisper about sexual sin. It's clear that sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexuality are sins, as are idolatry, theft, greed, drunkenness, reviling, and swindling. And habitually walking in these deeds of darkness bars a person from entering, inheriting God's kingdom. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, 4 through 9. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Listen to this. You know that he, this is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, Jesus, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Earlier I said to take away sin. Now John says to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God, John continues, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. God's truth is abundantly clear. And if we walk in the sin that is depicted here habitually in verses 9 and 10, we're saying that the seed of God does not abide in us. So God's truth is clear, but it's also authoritative. God's truth is the plumb line for anything put forth as truth. It is the authority over all claims to truth. Now notice how Paul speaks in this text. He speaks in a way that reinforces his resolute belief and conviction in God's authority. He says, don't you know? And then he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Paul understands that there is objective, transcendent um, truth. And it is authoritative. It comes from God. He submits himself to this authority. And I want you to notice Paul's choice of words in verse 10. He gives this list of who all will not inherit. The end of verse 10, the kingdom of God. If you walk up and down the street, you ask someone, do you believe you'll go to heaven when you die? Or... Let me pull that question back. This is the question you ask them. What's heaven going to be like? Average person on the street. And they will probably conceive of a heaven that doesn't include God. They probably will conceive of a heaven that has nothing to do with God. 
It has, it has to do with sitting with Mamo in her rocking chair, you know, getting patted on the back. I used to love that. Eat, eat banana pudding and not getting fat. It, it, all kinds of things that, that, that they conceive of. You got your favorite dog. The fish are always going to bite. That's the concept of heaven. Paul doesn't use the word kingdom of heaven here. Lest people forget that heaven is about God. If God has a kingdom, then God is king. Therefore, his truth, his authority as king is the basis for the authority of his truth. Let me say that again. If God has a kingdom, then God is king. Therefore, his authority as king is the basis for the authority of his truth. Respect is truth. It's clear, it's authoritative, it's binding. God's truth must always be obeyed. It can never be ignored. If it is, only judgment awaits. Jesus never once said, you do you, just you do you. Never once did Jesus say that. Jesus always affirmed marriage and sexuality as God instituted it. Always. Well, Jesus was never asked about homosexuality. Jesus always affirmed the created design of marriage. It's the truth. It's clear. It's authoritative. It's binding. And those who rebel against the king and his commands are barred from inheriting the kingdom. Notice, Paul doesn't say it not once. Twice he says it will not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 9. Verse 10, the last words, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's repeated twice for emphasis. So know this. To not inherit the kingdom of God, it just sounds like you missed out on something. I didn't get there quick enough for the sale. They, were, they sold out of all the things I was wanting to buy. I just missed out. That's not it. There won't be, on that day, a slap on the wrist. On the day that you stand before God, there won't be a do-over. There won't be a mulligan. There will only be the just judgment of God because His truth is clear, authoritative, and binding and is to be respected. And those who fail to respect God's truth risk facing the just judgment of God. I want to put a quote on the screen. This is from Mark Dever. Probably you may not be able to read his, his name, Mark Dever. And the quote says, Ever since the fall, Satan has been trying to tempt us to think that authority and love cannot go together. Ever since the fall, Satan has been trying to tempt us to think that authority and love cannot go together. Here, here's what that means. That if you love someone, you let them do themselves. You do you. Don't put any kind of restriction on me. To, to restrict me is to be unloving. What parent in here would do that? Why do we restrict our kids? Out of love. That's why. Out of love. And why does God give these types of commands through Paul? It's not so that he can simply stomp on people. It's that he truly loves people. He loves sinners no matter how they sin. So I want to encourage you as we, this is the final point, respond, respond to his truth. 
He's revealed it. He's serious about it. He wants you to respect it. He wants you to respond to it. Know this. God's truth exposes sin. Look what Paul says again. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He wants to make sure people know that there is truth. God's truth exposes sin. Now I can imagine, because Corinth was sort of a messed up church, there could be could have been a number of responses when this particular text was read in their midst. Because that's what would have happened. The church would have gotten together. This letter would have been read. Somebody would have heard, do you not know and do not be deceived? And they would have said, maybe, I'm going to live how I want to live, whether that's true or not. That certainly is, if someone was from the outside of Christianity looking in and we told them the types of things that we have preached today and, and it personally described their sin, they'd say, I'm going to live how I want, whether it's true or not. But the problem with that is they're deceived. The very opposite of what Paul says, that they're not to be. They're deceived about consequences and about judgment. They're deceived about who God is. Another person might say, no, that's not true. It's not true that the sexually immoral or adulterers or those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, that's not true at all. That's just an imposition of morality upon the text. Well, that person is deceived as well. They're deceived about the truth. God, they, they tr- exchanged truth for a lie. They made uh, made a lie appear as truth and they made truth to appear as a lie. Final person might hear it this way. Do you not know? Do not be deceived. Final person might hear that and say, no, I didn't know that. This is new to me. And that's why this is important because now the deceit has broken down. And it's brought them to the point where they can realize that exposed sin can be dealt with. See, when God exposes sin, it's not a game of gotcha. God dealt with sin in the Corinthian church. Notice what he says, verse 11. I'm sorry, uh, verse, yeah, verse 11. And such were some of you. God dealt with sin in the Corinthian church, but he dealt with it in this Corinthian church through Christ. He says, you were, you were washed. The uncleanness of your sin was removed through the blood of Christ. You were sanctified. You were sprinkled with Christ's blood. And you were made holy and set apart to God as His possession and for His use in His kingdom. And you were justified. You're no longer unrighteous. You're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He says, you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name, under the authority of Jesus Christ, who paid the price so that all of those things might be done. Washing, sanctifying, justifying. And so when exposed, when sin is exposed, it can be dealt with through Christ. You can be made new today. I want you to notice how Paul finishes verse 11. You were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What I believe Paul means there is that He's talking about being born again. See, when a person 
is dead in trespasses and sins. They're the type of person who hears the truth, but they never understand it. And they always question authority. But when the truth comes and a person's deceit falls away, and something begins to stir in the heart of that person where they recognize this is God's truth, I believe they're being born again. John Calvin says this. This is so important in our day. I realize I'm going long. I appreciate your patience. He says, False prophets speak only of God's freeness to forgive and are profoundly silent about repentance. I want to be very, very clear. Very, very clear here. Repentance is part of salvation. God wants to forgive. He will forgive. God always responds to repentance. And the first step in repentance is admitting that you're wrong. It's confessing the waywardness of your behavior, that it's sin and you are guilty of it. That is the first step. Many people will tell folks that are floundering in sin, God always forgives, but they never do anything to show that they believe that God wants them to leave that life of sin and to embrace life in Christ. You must repent. John Owen, and I can imagine that there may be someone watching this at home somewhere that they think, that, Pastor, I, I know you're speaking God's truth. This is not your truth. This is God's truth. And, and my sin has been exposed, and I see the wretchedness of it. This might be a question you have. This is John Owen. But I fear he will not receive me. When I see what a wretched sinner I am, I am afraid that he will turn me away in disgust. Can I give you some good news? Christ is ready to receive the worst of sinners. All three persons of the Godhead bear testimony to this. Not to receive this testimony makes God a liar. God does not lie. He tells the truth. Christ is indeed ready to receive the to receive the worst of sinners. Believe it. In fact, these words about Christ. This is from Isaiah as quoted in Matthew 12:20, talking about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. If you come to Christ in brokenness and repentance, He's not going to look at you and see you as a, a wick on a candle that's just barely, barely smoldering and think, what's the use of expending any energy on you? He will not put you out. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not quench a smoldering wick. In fact, he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus welcomes sinners, repentant sinners, with open arms. I want to leave you with this. Two phrases, two different ways. First, know. Know this. Know that anything that falls outside of God's 
design, created design for sexual immorality is sin. Do not be deceived. If a person does not repent of these sins, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is only judgment. But also know this. Know that God forgives sin. God will receive the repentant sinner and forgive them of all their sin because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And do not be deceived. Satan may be telling you this right now. God really does welcome repentant sinners. Don't be deceived. Don't let Satan deceive you. God will welcome you through his son. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these words, for how they minister to our souls, for how they reveal your truth, for how they lead a person to life. Thank you, Father, for these scriptures. Lord, I pray that there are any here today or anyone that is listening that... um, It's as if this particular sermon has been particularly um, convicting. That they will have heard the, the hard part and the good news. And that their heart would respond to your truth. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing just a few verses of Just As I Am. And, and the reason I'm just take just a moment and say, we're going to sing a couple of verses. Now I realize that I look around this room. I see all who all is here. And um, I know who, who all has given their life to Christ and, and uh, who we're praying for one day will give their life to Christ. There may be some folks listening online and they're like, I, I want to repent. I want to come to God. I want to receive forgiveness. What do I say? What do I do? So often what is so helpful to us in our journey is provided for us and something that someone has written and left for us. And just as I am, if you sing this song, Lord, I want to repent. I want to be forgiven of my sin. Sing this song. Say the words out loud to God. He's ready to welcome you. Just as I am. Let's sing together.
Well, um, we will close our time together by saying uh, the Great Commission together, and we will be dismissed. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.